All right. Hello and welcome to the Age of AI podcast. On this show, we talk to entrepreneurs and innovators all over the planet who are already bringing cutting-edge machine learning to transform different industries. I'm your host Aman, founder and CEO of Sandram Transnational, and in today's episode, I'm speaking with John Linden, who is Oh, by the way, did I pronounce that right? Yes. Okay, cool. That's good. Uh, <laughs> John is the CEO of a software company called Econo. which does machine learning on the edge and we mean learning not inference and of course if you're non technical we're going to explain very soon what that means so in this episode we'll talk about what makes machine learning on the edge interesting and useful where it's already being used in the industry and what it takes to do it properly right john thank you so much for joining us today thanks for having me appreciate it cool so before we get into explaining what you do and how you do it uh, technically in order to set up the context for listeners i want to start with a simple case study all right right so and we'll take it piece by piece so first can you give me a couple examples of some customers that you've served past present uh, prospective doesn't matter sure Absolutely and 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 this is the fun thing about what we do. We work with product OEMs in in all different industries. We mm-hmm. we work with industrial applications, we work with consumer applications. From the beginning, we thought that IoT is going to be all about consumer applications, but of course, the 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 big need and the the money was on the industrial side. So, mm-hmm. uh we've done a lot of industrial cases where it boils down to to virtually everything that mm-hmm. is connected. So so we we don't necessarily have to to work with things that are connected but but we've learned in the process that first you connect things then you make them smart so that's typically where we come in so we have been working with companies that are doing uh, trucks that are doing construction vehicles that are doing uh, different kinds of machines uh, that mm-hmm. are doing components to machines that are doing lawn mowers that are doing stone crushers they're doing mm-hmm. all kinds of things and and this is the, like i said the really fascinating part about what we do because this adds another dimension to to what they have been done and been doing in many cases for hundreds of years mm-hmm. so you mentioned a few examples like uh, there are trucks you know components of machines machines themselves uh, lawn mowers right so t- let's pick w- let's pick one or two of them to uh, you know for the sake of the for the sake of explanation sure so let's take let's say one machine company like which is the biggest uh, use case for you for example uh, no, in, the, in the machine space absolutely and, and let's actually uh, i'm not going to go for the the biggest and not most okay. complicated i'm actually going to turn it around because i always argue that the beauty is in simplicity so so when mm-hmm. you can take something complicated and turn that into something simple that's when it's, it gets really beautiful our very first customer was alpha laval and they are a global leader in fluid handling so okay. separation of, of fluids uh, through decanters mm. and separators they they do boilers they also do heat exchangers mm. and the issue they had with heat exchangers is that they 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 have anywhere between 6 weeks and 5 years of maintenance cycle and the reason is that they are used for very very different applications they can be used on ships to to kind of heat up the the oil before it goes into the to the to the motor they can also be used in in food processing uh, to mm-hmm. just process water and, and and of course that is that those are two very very different environments two very different applications two very different media so so that impacts how often you need to do maintenance and and this is mm-hmm. the beauty of of that i see of of iot in general that you can actually handle each and every device uniquely as an individual component uh thereby you can actually address both the case with the ship where you have a 6 week maintenance cycle but also the food production case where where you where you have uh 5 years maintenance cycle hmm. so alpha laval uh if i understand correctly they were selling these heat exchangers to they are different still. okay yeah Mm, okay. They are. They are the cell heat exchangers. They are the the product OEMs, and and okay. and we work with product OEMs, those who design and manufacture their their own products. Uh, that's that's where we fit in. So that that's that's the type of companies that we have experience of in in like I said, a lot of different uh, verticals, but also in small components and and big machines. And and they're a typical customer in the sense that they are a product OEM. They they design and they manufacture these heat exchangers. 
Okay. And so you mentioned, so we touched on this, uh, you know, on the problem. So, so you, they're selling these heat exchangers. They get out the factory. They get shipped to the different, uh, to their own customers. And then they have different maintenance cycles, right? Yes. As you mentioned. Yes. So, and the maintenance is typically done by somebody from the company or like someone how does from that, the company uh, or someone who's a certified uh, service partner to uh, to the to uh, alpha level okay so they so they have a network of you know people who can conduct that service right. and so in this business uh, partnership between alpha level who is the oem and the customer what is the problem or what is the opportunity for improvement of this process that we're looking for I think that that this is the same for most product companies, especially on the industrial side, that that is one thing. It's a cost associated with sending people on site and do maintenance. That's always a big thing. But the other part, and and what was quite obvious in this case, is that when you do maintenance, you have to stop the process. And you don't Mm. want to stop the process to do maintenance that is not needed. So mm-hmm. if you can actually figure out when there's a need for, for, for maintenance, uh, and, and we've seen these in other cases as well, that, that, that when you're replacing wear parts, if, if you can delay that, postpone as you maximize the utilization of that wear part, I mean, first of all, you, you can, can remove that cost of buying a new, you can remove the, the, the sustainability cost of, of shipping or producing mm-hmm. a new wear part, and then you don't have to stop the manufacturing process to do maintenance that is not required. Mm-hmm. Um, and this boils down to understanding and knowing the individual process. And this is something that we, that we take for granted today on the consumer side. When we go shopping in, a, in, a, in an e-commerce site, we take for granted that it's personalized. It, it takes my, my interest and my, my requirements into consideration. It makes recommendations that are personalized for me. And that is what we are seeing on the, on the product side as well, well, that the products become personalized for the, 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 the place and the environment and the purpose they're being used for. Mm, I see. So in a sense, so let's say you put a heat exchanger on a ship, right? Yes. And then that ship's going around, let's say it's, it's, it's a cargo ship or something like that, right? And then you have to send somebody uh, who is your own staff or a, or a partner staff that's, you know, that, that's paid, that gets paid money, whose, exp- whose expertise is in heat exchanging, not in specifically heat exchangers on ships. And so they show up on a on a pre-agreed upon uh, schedule to stop the heat, heat exchanger from working and uh, do some maintenance. Let's put some numbers on this. If you do, let's say for a ship, you mentioned six months is a typical uh, maintenance cycle. I, I, I don't know exactly what is the, the, uh, the okay. average for, for in general, but the, it's the extreme case, what we, what we found out in the process is that the extreme case uh, and the ship is definitely an extreme case. It can, it can definitely be as short as six weeks. In the, weeks. the opposite direction, we're talking about five years okay. when, when you don't need to do as, as frequent maintenance. And then you have everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. So let's take the six-week cycle, right? Yes. And so six weeks, that's like, uh, you know, more than seven, almost uh, more than like, let's say seven uh, visits per year, right? From the maintenance guy, like, Right. And so what is the cost to the company or who's bearing the cost of having those, let's say three of, let's say three or four of them are unnecessary. Right. Right. Who's bearing the cost of uh, this maintenance? Is it the company or is I it the, the customer? No, this is, this is the, the case with, with pretty much all our customers. We yeah. never possess the domain expertise. We are, uh, darn good at doing machine learning software, uh, doing mm-hmm. embedded software, providing the the mathematics. Uh, mm-hmm. But but the what we actually do is to empower the the resources within our customers so they can make use of these powerful tools to uh, to amend uh, and and augment their expertise and knowledge in, uh, in, in what they do and the kind of services they provide. So I, I, it's, it's hard for me to go into details when it comes mm-hmm. to specific mm-hmm. use cases for, for, yeah. for customers. But I think that that is a good, good illustration uh, of what we're seeing in, in a lot of different industries, that, yeah. that the applications and the utilization of products are very different. Uh, it mm-hmm. can be the same thing with components. I mean, if you have 
uh, a pump. Uh, the same kind of pump can be used in a skyscraper or in a brewing process. And of course, uh, the utilization and the wear on the pump and, 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 and how it should perform under normal conditions will be different. Uh, yeah. Same thing with, with, with the motor. And we are using motors in a lot of different things. So it's, it's pretty common, but it's, it's, it's something that we actually take pride in, that we, that we empower the people at our customers uh, to actually enhance what they do. So, so what I'm getting to is that, that it's hard for me to put exact numbers, but, but the, mm -hmm. the business case is yeah. from proper IoT, are always extremely compelling. It boils down to not having to send people on site, which is another yeah. dimension when we talk about COVID, because now people have, or a lot of product OEMs have realized that they cannot take for granted to send people all over the world to support their products. Not having to, to send someone, being able to do remote support, still with, with a lot of insights and information from the products, so you can give proper support, all these things boil straight down to, to bottom line. And I think that, that back to your question, who is paying the price, at the end of the day, it's always the customer yeah. who pays the price. I mean, yeah. independent yeah. if, if, if the, the OEM for a certain period of time have to take the cost uh, somewhere in order to have a, a working business, it, it boils down to actually charging the customer for the cost, but for preferably yeah. for the value that you provide. Mm, I, see, I see what you mean. So in a sense, if uh, you know, I think I've wrapped my head around this. Basically, the cost is to send a person on site when it's not needed, or not being able to send the person on on site on time for when it is or, needed. Yeah, that's that's a good summary. Or having to to actually stop a process, maybe like a production process mm. or or a vehicle. Uh, that is doing something because you have to do maintenance. And, and then you have to make yeah. sure that there is an actual need for maintenance for that specific vehicle, not because it's on the schedule, but there's actually a need for it. So, so it all boils down to efficiency and cost associated with efficiency and resources and expertise in the right place. And as, as, as products are getting more and more complex and complicated, of course, that requires more and more expertise to support and maintain them. So, yeah. so all of these things kind of go hand in hand. And this is this was one just one use case out of many, which is uh, what do you call predictive maintenance. Uh, I would say condition-based maintenance or predictive maintenance. If you're able to actually predict when something needs maintenance, when you're when you're able to find a repetitive pattern, which is the, the strength of, of machine learning in general, to find patterns yeah. in data, then that is is extremely powerful. But but you're absolutely right; it's in that field. We have other applications, yeah. especially on, on like the, the consumer side, where it's an mm -hmm. enhancement of the experience, uh, which, which might be harder to actually put dollars and cents on, but, but can be extremely valuable still for the customer. Yeah. So give me one example of that. That's very interesting. So let's take, uh, let's go back. We talked about lawnmower. Uh, mm -hmm. We have yep. Husqvarna as a customer. Husqvarna was the, the, the first company in the world to launch a robotic mower. Uh, the auto mower. And, okay. and I, uh, the, the, we initiated discussions because I have one of those at home. I love it. I can sit on my patio and just watch the, 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 the robot run around my garden mowing my lawn. That's, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> but what struck me was that when I looked at the, the statistics, uh, it showed that it's been operating for 7,000 hours. So for 7,000 hours, it's been running around my garden. Uh, you normally say about a tennis pro that it takes 10,000 10, hours of practice to become a pro. So yeah. in 7,000 hours, the lawnmower should basically be a pro knowing absolutely everything about my garden. Reality is, what is that, that it knew absolutely nothing about my garden. It was just as stupid as when I got it. But it had all the sensors to actually learn a lot of things about my garden. It could learn different zones and how they grow at different times of year and under different conditions. And what I realized is that that my garden is very different, even from my neighbor's garden, or even from my, my co-founder's garden, even more so from my co-founder's garden down in, in Spain. Mm. So I wanted to know my garden, not a garden, but my garden. And, and then you can actually have it operate in a more efficient way. It can, can actually mow the lawn when and where it's needed because it knows when and where it grows. It can learn different zones depending on shadings and, and, and on undulation and drainage and all these different things. So it becomes much, much more efficient. And if you can run it more energy efficiently, it's battery driven. If you can save 20% battery, it might not be a big deal per automower, but when you take that times 3 million 
automowers, it actually adds up and you actually make a difference from a sustainability perspective. And Husqvarna are very good at actually taking the combination between innovation and sustainability. They even call it Sustainavate, uh, where they awarded us in that area. So you can run it more efficiently. It can also tell you when it needs maintenance, as we talked about before, when it needs to move, uh, replace the knives. Um, it can actually tell the watering system, which is also provided by Husqvarna, that now it needs watering in this and that space, which makes, makes it practically a, a digital gardener. Yeah. But what's really, really compelling from, from a business perspective is that when I'm standing in the shop considering to buy a new mower, and I can transfer 7,000 hours of learnings about my garden, it's going to be a very easy choice to be loyal to Husqvarna because I can transfer between my old one and my new one. So that becomes a data-driven business model where, where mm. I have the incentive, just like I keep buying the iPhone, even if I know that the Samsung is a better deal for me because I'm, I'm stuck in the iPhone ecosystem. This yeah. will, will be the same thing. You actually give an incentive based on data and insights. Mm. And that's where it becomes really, really interesting. So that boils down more to a, 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 a business model that is not maybe counted in, 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 in immediate dollars mm. and cents, but, but the whole loyalty package yep. around this and the, the added sales opportunities is, is, uh, is significant. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and even that, you know, some down the line, it all still, you know, adds up to dollars and cents, right? Absolutely. Uh, what, I, what I talk about, you know, in my uh, company is that AI, machine learning, all these technologies are basically a way to help you give your customers a better deal. Yes. Right. At the end of the day, whether it improves your bottom line or whatever, it it's really like it's about who gets a better deal because of using these technologies, and it totally fits that use case. That's fantastic. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And what also strikes me that I find extremely interesting is that in for the first time in my my twenty five professional years in, in in technology, for the first time we're actually seeing purchase decisions that are not entirely based on ROI. That it yeah. not always boils down to immediate ROI where you can calculate that if we can save this much and this much time, it's going to cost us this. And that means that we can save this and then we can do the investment. The sustainability aspect alone is sufficient for more and more companies to make uh, investment decisions and innovation decisions because they know that even if we can't calculate it short term in an ROI model, uh, it boils down to to uh, to uh, requirements that we have to take responsibility, and it will pay off, or it will cost us further down the line. So they are actually making purchase decisions uh, based on the sustainability impact and effect alone, which I find extremely fascinating. Mm-hmm. I see. So essentially, when you talk about machine, when we talk about machine learning in, on the edge, and by the way, for any non-technical people listening to this. The way I would explain machine learning on the edge would be that, you know, let's say you have a lawnmower. A machine learning on the cloud would mean that your lawnmower is connected to, you know, a server, a backend server somewhere uh, belonging to the company. It's sending all its uh, sensor data to that cloud backend. And there they churn some models and train a model and then you know, give give it back some insights uh, to your to your lawnmower, and the advantage of that is that you can get data from all the lawnmowers all all over the country and uh, put all their data together, put all their lessons and learnings together. Machine learning on the edge means that instead of sending the data to a remote ser- server somewhere else, you're basically training the model on the machine itself. So it's only collecting data about your garden and tra- getting trained on your garden and that those lessons and that data is not really being shared may or may not be shared with somebody else's uh, with somebody else's lawnmower or, or with the company altogether is that accurate or, or what, what, think, what would you add to that yes i i agree but i would also add that that typically you start with some kind of of machine learning model that is based on what you have learned from from many yeah collect the data and then you uh, enhance it, you improve it, and you learn the individual deviations mm, and yeah. conditions on yeah. the device. And this is when you actually do edge machine learning. 
and not yeah. just doing inference at the edge. Because what you're describing is, is, is absolutely correct. Historically, machine learning has been about collecting data from thousands of devices and then looking for common denominators. In IoT, and back to what we already talked about, uh, the fact that, that they operate in very different environments under different conditions for different applications, there are not that many common denominators. So you want to learn individually. Just like I don't want to be treated as, as a Swede when I come to an e-commerce site. I want to be treated as John. I want it to be personalized. And that's what we need to do on, 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 on things as well. And that's what's happening. And that's where edge machine learning is extremely powerful. Now, I would like to emphasize that from our perspective, it's not a question of edge versus cloud. It's edge mm. and cloud. The, the yeah. edge is excellent for, for learning the individual conditions. The edge is excellent for making quick decisions uh, on the device, while the cloud is excellent for, for looking for common denominators and learning from many, and also for visualizing the data. So, so they are complementary. But, but cloud has been around for a while. People kind of are used to, to cloud these days, but, but edge is something new. Mm. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Okay, so... So now let's you know segue into we've set up the the context for what machine learning on the edge is what's the business case and uh, a little bit into how it works what do what do your customers what does the lawnmower company get from you what do you sell to them so we are a software product company we provide okay. them with with a toolkit to help them expedite the implementation of these smart features mm -hmm. so we have an embedded library it is extremely nerdy i mean this is deep tech we are actually selling code so mm -hmm. so uh, at the end of the day it's extremely nerdy they get a library uh, we built a totally platform agnostic solution so that's why we can cover the whole range from industrial to consumer iot big devices small devices we can scale down to very very small devices running on board plcs or running on board machine controllers or things like that cortex m0 mcus that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so it's a library there there's also a whole toolkit uh, because I think that what is keeping people from using powerful technology is typically that it gets too complicated. There's a reason why we talk about edge machine learning instead of edge, edge AI at Econo, because we want people to understand machine learning is basically that you learn from data and that you make predictions. We try and make this as simple, as understandable as possible. When they see that, they go, okay, so that means that you could actually predict when we need to replace this part. Yes, and that's a good starting point. So, so, so that's what we do uh, at, at Econo. We provide the tools that help them expedite this, this kind of implementation, like, like understanding what, what, what is the, the algorithm that is best suited for the purpose. Uh, is it random forest? Is it a linear regression? Is it a neural network? It's not that one size fits all. We help them with figuring out what is the best. We help them optimize it for the target platform. So we try and make edge machine as available and as accessible as possible so, mm. so more people will start using it because there's no doubt. I mean, there's no reason why, why you should do if, then, else and try and predict every uh, potential scenario of, of how that lawnmower will be, be used when you can yeah. actually let the machine learn from the data and, and make those decisions for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, that's actually a, an interesting, you know, angle that that I think I want to explore further. Uh, and the the like the analogy that I'm getting here is the ROS, like the robot operating system, right? That before ROS came along, and I've used this even in some self-driving car companies. Before ROS came along, to do robotics, you had to build everything yourself, pretty much. Right. Right. You had to pull one library from here and one library from here and whatnot. And you just had, it was just a nightmare to build a robot that can do even a very simple software things, right? And yeah. when ROS came along, you know, the robot operating system, it already had a lot of the features that you would need to, you know, make robots that can talk, where features that can talk to each other and whatnot. And that just exploded. And now we have, you know, Arduino, which, and they all have these uh, little libraries and Raspberry Pi and whatnot, right? So it sounds like Econo is kind of doing the same thing for a subset problem of this overall space, which is how do you make small robots or, you know, uh, devices in general do machine learning as well on the edge? 
Small or large. For us, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the the yeah. thing is that the, the challenge is to scale down to small devices. Scaling up is kind of easy for us. Mm-hmm. So, so part of the value proposition is that they can use one and the same solution across all their products uh, mm-hmm. to implement machine learning, and they will use it for a lot of different purposes. So the more they use it, the more familiar they get with the technology, the faster it goes. But you're absolutely right. That is that is our vision. We 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 expect Econo to be the default option for making connected things smart. And and who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, if, if you were sitting with as a product OEM and, and looking at the future and looking at the potential of IoT, then, then of course, that is part of what you want to do. And then you want to keep it as simple as possible. You want to have something that you know is up to date. You want to have something that you know is built for purpose. And then that's where we fit in. So uh, let's get a little more technical, although we have a yes. you know, predominantly non-technical audience. Uh, if you had to break down the different you know, parts of making a connected thing smart, the different parts of the solution, like uh, you know, on a, in a mental mind map, uh, so to speak, you have the data collection, the sensors, the hardware, the yep. physical hardware that will collect that data. And it has to be useful data that actually... Uh, collects data which are necessary to predict the uh, the thing that you want to predict, right? Uh, because some of those sensors, you know, might might be even difficult to you know to have or attach. So that's one that's one problem problem set and solution set, right? And then there's the actual like computational hardware, the chips on the device, which will actually be doing that that computation for machine learning, right? Yeah. Uh, to process the process the inputs, normalize the inputs and whatnot, and then uh, run train the models, right? And so that's one, you know, and that needs both software and hardware, of course. And then you need a, you know, another subsystem to exchange that data with the cloud, or maybe not. You no, know, it depends on the use case. Like, yes, do we have cloud absolutely or do we not? right. Absolutely right. Right. Yeah. So let me let me let me go through the the the, the workflow. That that's yeah. that's a good idea. So, like you say, uh, first of all, we decided when we designed the product to be the best at what we do, not trying okay. to be everything for everyone, which is something that I'm really happy about today because. On connected devices, you cannot afford to have parallel systems. You cannot have multiple cloud connectivity solutions or orchestration solutions and things like that. So we only, in quotation marks, do the edge machine learning, which means, just like you say, there need to be hardware, there needs to be sensors, there need to be actuators, collecting that data, forwarding it to us. So we get it in some kind of Mm -hmm. format. We get it as a data array into the, the Econo library. The first thing we do is pipelining. So, so typically you decorate data uh, in the in the first step. Mm. That means that you can do like lags, meaning that what was this value four seconds ago, twenty seconds ago, sixty-eight seconds ago, and ninety seconds ago. So you get like a sequence, which which helps actually explain how it changes over time. Uh, you do sliding average. What has it been over the last twenty seconds? That kind of stuff. You you do different things in the pipelining. So you actually can take one small data point and turn that into multiple data points. So mm-hmm. what we have seen, which, which fascinates me, is that you don't necessarily need a lot of data. This is not normally about big data. Uh, it's about having the right data. And, and right yeah. data in most cases are the kind of sensors they already have. It temperature, it can be pressure, it can be voltage, it can be rotation, it can be load, it can be different things. Pretty standard sensor data. And then when you pipeline it when you decorate it you get a very interesting data set and then you start applying machine learning and in our case we do inference so you do a prediction what will it be in in a, in a set uh, prediction horizon a set period of time we also do the training of the machine learning model if you configure it to do it which means that it continuously trains the model i, I usually compare it to like a tamaguchi the more you feed it the better it gets so the more okay. data you feed it the more yeah. it learns about this specific device and it can can actually enhance an existing machine learning model that could be something that you have trained in the cloud based on on the input of many so we do that inference we do that training we also do some some other things that that are pretty useful for example we can do change detection or anomaly detection so if you say that that i want to predict what this value is 20 seconds from now then you compare the actual value with the predicted value, which gives you a change score. And that can be used for for predicting or seeing, detecting if something has deviated from what you have learned before. Now something has changed. 
very useful. So we do a number of things. And then we spit out values at the other end. That could be the chain score. It could be the prediction value. Whatever you configure that, that will be output. Now, this is where, where the integration comes. So then that's where the product OEM decides, is this something I should visualize in like an HMI? Is this something that I should use to configure automatically the machine, the, the gas burner, the, 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 the motor, whatever it might be? that is on the product. So you use that for automated uh, decisions or you send it to the cloud saying that, that here's an insight, here's a, a value that, we, that we've uh, mined from, from the data, uh, which is, I mean, first of all, when sending it to the cloud, when you do the first level of intelligence on the device, first of all, you, you actually see the real-time data. You can see the high frequency data rather than, than some blunt averages over like a minute or a second. And then you send the insight rather than the sensitive raw data, which is good for, for the data integrity. Uh, and it's much, much smaller in size. So you get a lot of benefits from doing this first level of intelligence, sending it to the cloud. Then typically, that's where you combine it with what you have seen from many, maybe to find outliers, machines that are behaving in an irrational way compared to, to all the other ones in your install base, or to visualize some kind of a graph uh, that indicates what you're going to do next. The cloud is excellent when it comes to comparing between many. The cloud is excellent when it comes to doing manual analytics and we'll increase, uh, when you want to increase capacity when needed. And the cloud is excellent for visualizing the data independent where you are and, and what you're using to visualize it. So that's where you send the insights and that's where you do the visual presentation of it. So that's a typical workflow. So we, we have dependency on the hardware, on the sensors, on, on sensor fusion, on, on uh, orchestration, OTA, all these different things around it. But we fit perfectly into that whole ecosystem of applying mm. that intelligence on the device. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a really, uh, so that's really interesting. And I'm curious, since you are, you know, very much in the industry and I'm like more from an adjacent, uh, like I come from more of an adjacent point of view. So we just described this flow, right? And yep. uh, your solution, Econo, as a software library and or package uh, sits you know, on the edge machine learning part of that, and you have all these dependencies, how mature, and, and that, this, this question is more to you as an industry observer, less as a CEO of Econo. How mature is this ecosystem of tools that we described to actually do all of these things simply as if like every engineer who shows up like, yeah, I'm going to build an IoT company, they kind of know, they can look up, you know, a very simple tutorials and whatnot, get all these open source packages or maybe even like uh, sub open source uh, tools and build an IoT product in their garage. How mature or how long is the journey to get there? Is it, are we, are we already there? Are we beyond? Is it already mature? Like what's going on in the industry uh, from that view? No, we're not. Uh, I'm going to be totally honest. I'm on, uh, we are not where I expected us to be. The, uh, mm. the, uh, the whole industry. And the thing is, I have an extensive background from telecom and I thought that the telecom industry was kind of conservative and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and kind of slow moving. Still, with that experience in mind, I could never predict that, that it was going to take this long to actually get the IoT uh, process going. I mean, from, mm. from my perspective and from what we do and what we have, what, what we develop, it's so obvious the business value is so obvious it's like what are you waiting for but then yeah. i've had to understand and learn that it takes time you don't rip and replace a machine that works perfectly fine just because there's a new version of the machine or there's a digitized version of that machine uh, i mean it takes time before you replace that machine out in the field it also takes time to connect uh, machines out in the field yeah. uh, way longer than I expected. And, and, and they've been kind of slow in the start. I think that, that there are a number of things that are, are, are expediting this. Uh, the best one for expediting things is, is always competition. Just like when Tesla came into the, to the car industry, that yeah. really expedited the, the development, not just on the electrification side, but on the, all the other things. Yeah. Like they were looking at the car as a system. They were drawing insights and conclusions about how the individual driver was using their car uh, and, 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 and giving you a personalized experience. The other ones had to follow. Uh, so competition is always a good incentive for, for, for doing this kind of, of stuff. So we're starting to see that. The second thing is that very few have really done this. 
and 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 I always argue that eighty percent of the world's population are followers. So you need to yeah. find those twenty percent that are the the flag bearers, the front runners that will do something because they they see that that with this innovation we can actually gain uh, a, a we can frog leap the competition. And when they have proven that 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 they can make a good business case case out of it, everyone else will follow. We're not there yet. We're still working with the 20%. And, and, and I think that we're going to see that the floodgates are opening for a few different reasons. The, the whole pandemic has also had an impact. I mentioned before that, that during the pandemic, people have realized that they cannot take for granted to go on site and support products, which is a strong incentive for doing remote maintenance. Uh, but I also think that a lot of companies have a built-up innovation backlog uh, because for the last 18 months, they haven't been doing a lot of new product releases when you look at the at the uh, the, uh, the physical product side because they haven't been going to see customers. They haven't been going to trade shows where they launch new products. They haven't been challenged by new competitors entering the uh, the heat exchanger space or the uh, yeah. the the, uh, the stone crusher space and, and things like that. That hasn't happened for the last eighteen months. It's been the CFO's market where they've been making decisions about supply chain and profitability. Yeah. Now the CTOs are getting the question, so what's next? What are we going to launch now? What's going to be the next feature? Uh, so I think that we have an innovation backlog that's going to be very interesting when, 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 when it starts opening because now everyone's going to compete for, for airtime showing what is the future, what's next, what's going to be new to, to draw the attention of the customers, uh, which they haven't really done for the last 18 months. So I, I think that that's, that's going to have an impact, but the IoT market at this point in time is way behind any prediction i think that anyone has made in terms of of maturity yeah we were hearing all these you know uh, thought leader predictions like oh 20 trillion 20 billion some something some weird number devices being connected and uh, per unit per square kilometer you're gonna have like uh you know 20 million devices something some crazy you know stuff was flying around like whoa everything from your teacup to your uh you know dishwasher is going to be connected to the internet and everything is going to be uh so jolly by like within the last within the last two years right and so from i think i think i mean just a quick comment on that i think that a lot of things have been connected i still think that most people have not really understood the true potential of iot it's not in connecting things just to collect data. Uh, and, and I think that the mistake comes from the fact that Facebook and Google make it look very easy to make a fortune on data. Reality is that it's extremely hard, extremely hard. And very, very, very few product OEMs will be able to monetize on, on aggregated data. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the real potential of IoT is that you extend the relationship with your products to after they leave the factory which means that now you can see how they're being used. You can see how they feel. Uh, you can help your customer operate them in a, more, in a more sustainable and optimized way. You can upgrade them in the field. You can extend the lifetime of your products. Uh, you can sell services. You can even say a product as a service. I mean, all these things, that's the, the, the true potential of IoT. And that requires automation. That requires smarts. And that has not happened yet. So it's, it's very basic, the kind of, of initiatives that have been made uh, on the IoT side so far. And then it's also going to be very hard to justify the cost, I, I think, in many cases, just for collecting data. Mm-hmm. And so from, and from the technical uh, standpoint, you know, is going back to, you know, just to finish the picture, going back to the flowchart that you were talking about, you know, you fit as an edge computing company, as an edge machine learning company in one part of the stack. Does it happen that you go to your customers and they and you you're giving them like this uh, this solution? And they ask you, "Whoa, we don't even know how to do all the other stuff because that we don't we don't have that yet." So can you build us everything that we need to do this entire thing because the system is not mature? Or it's like, "Oh, we already have uh, we already had five different edge com- edge machine learning companies at the door last week, and we're just figuring out, you know." Which among these hundreds of companies do we use, do we use for each uh, individual part? So from the software development side of an IoT product, how mature is that ecosystem of suppliers? Yeah, and, and first of all, we turn down that kind of, kind of requests. And the reason is that, that yeah. based on my experience, combining a service company with a product company is very hard. It's, it's very... Uh, tempting in the beginning when, when someone is waving a, a, a potential project in front of you 
to, to grab that money. But then you're going to support that solution for years for, yeah. for, for like a, a big customer and, and everything that comes with it. So from day one, we had an idea to, to work with solution partners that are typically systems integrators that we work with uh, to who are doing the implementation for the customer. Mm-hmm. They, are, they can take the full responsibility for hardware, sensors, for, for the, the OTA, for cloud, for connectivity, all these things, and build the whole comprehensive solution. That's why we call them solution partner. Uh, in many cases, they are national systems integrated, like we work with Cybercom and, 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 uh, and so forth in, um, in Scandinavia. We are now seeing that we're getting the, uh, the interest and the demand from, from more uh, pan-European and global like Orange Business Services, Tech Mahindra, LNT Next, and, and, and Capgemini. So it, they're, they're obviously getting the interest from their customers. So that's yeah. a very good uh, development. They, 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 they get interested when they see that there is a business opportunity for billable hours. For us, yeah. we actually have a saying <laughs> internally that, that every billable hour is a failure. So we're trying yeah. to minimize the amount of time that we charge. We, we are terrible as, as consultants. We are very good as a product company. And we should have as the objective to design a product that makes it easy enough for our customers to do it without a dependency on us. Or for custom or our partners to 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 help the customers with doing a solution where they can make money on providing the, the services around building our solution into the product. Now the 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 other thing I, I want to say is that our second toughest competitor, because I'm a bit surprised that it's not a more crowded space when it comes to providing this kind of tools and providing this level of, of edge machine learning. Our second toughest competitor is always do it yourself. Uh, whether you use some kind of open source framework that they try and squeeze into a, a constrained edge device. The biggest competitor, though, is the, the option of doing nothing. Yeah, they, 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 they actually yeah. don't get started that they, or they get started and, and they stop in the way because they, 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 they feel that ah, it's too complicated. So anything we can do to, to help remove that uh, with the help of partners, technology partners and solution partners is extremely valuable to, to actually push them over that, that, that hurdle so they don't get 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 uh, stuck on the way. So 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 what I'm getting from this is that it is still a you know like a desert kind of uh, place in when when you have to find the different moving parts to build this solution, right? So all the from connecting the sensor suite, of course you do the pipelining and everything, but if you are one piece of the puzzle, a lot of the other pieces of the puzzle are missing, and you have to build. Pay somebody like you know a thousand dollars an hour or something like that to help you build that. Like it's not it's not that mature as an ecosystem uh, for IoT in general. Yeah, it needs to get more mature. Uh, it is getting there. We've seen a significant change now. If I compare to three years ago, uh, the the companies, our customers are actually getting more of this competence in house. Uh, in yeah. combination with with uh, the the systems integrators getting getting more better and better at doing this, so I think that's that's a pretty natural evolution, and 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 yeah. we have made good progress in the in the last few years. We still have some way to go before this this is is a fully mature market, but there's no doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, this will be commoditized. It's going to be uh, something you just pick off the shelf. That that we're going to need we're going to need a temperature yeah. sensor. We're going to need a, 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 this kind of computational hardware uh, platform, and then we're going to need some some edge machine learning. It's going to be commoditized. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But it's 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 a it's a way to get there. And 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 the whole IoT development has been slower, which means that it's taken longer than I think that anyone anticipated. I see what you mean. And so you know, uh, I often okay. Let's talk about, and you know, feel free to tell me what's comfortable for you to talk about and what's not. We're going to edit this. Let's talk about investor sentiment for IoT in general. Now, and I want to preface this by saying, I do hear about companies which are selling some cybersecurity solution for IoT companies. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's already there. And it's, you know, it's making money for solution, selling like cybersecurity is already a concern. Like people already are investing enough in IoT to have money left over for like a cybersecurity software platform for connected devices. So I hear about a few stories here and there, but what's really from an investor's point of view as an, as an IoT industry, you've, you know, you mentioned that it's not as mature or not as hot as uh, people predicted. But what's the latest uh, gossip on the street? What's really going on there? 
I think it's it's uh, it's as hot as it's as it's ever been. Yeah. That's not the issue. I think it's not as mature as we expected it to be. And when it comes to investors, the issue is that when you start up a new company, you can always have like some kind of expectation valuation in the beginning. You're, you're kind of painting the, the, the picture of where things are going. But somewhere down the line, you have to prove that, that, that it actually is happening, that reality is catching up with that, that, that prediction and, and that vision for the future. And it's hard when you, because you can never, rarely can you fund a company beyond like 18, 24 months at a time. And, and then you have to prove the next level of proof points to, to, to be able to, to raise the next level of funding. And then we had a pandemic that got in the way and slowed things down on top of this. Uh, and, and it has not been developing as fast as one expected. So, so it's, it's always a, a bit of, a, of a, uh, a play where you have to, to work out the different, different parts of, of, uh, of the game. Um, so it's it's always hard to to raise funding that's my experience i've been doing it for a, a number of different companies at different stages yeah. it's always a lot of work uh, rarely does people throw money at you uh, without really really high uh, requirements and expectations and you want the right kind of investors and everything else uh, there is a lot of money out there right now i don't think that if you come with a gen- generic iot company they're going to going to get very excited uh, but we're starting to also see that there are some some subsections or subsets of the the industry, like in our ca- case, edge machine learning, uh, that relates to it. That that is starting to show that that well, there's there's business value, and 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 the the customers are starting to to move out of the POC purgatory into pilots and actually live deployments, which means that there is there's interest. So so it's 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 always a. a I don't know how to how to to phrase it, but but it's 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 always like like a stepping game where you, where you have to put your toe in the right place, and 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 I always argue that it's a lot of work. You need to be extremely persistent, and then you need luck. Mm, you only need yeah. a good enough idea. It doesn't be, have to be exceptional, but you need luck. But there's a there's a very f- uh, famous Swedish skier. His name was Ingmar Stenmark, and he said the, the funny thing is that the more I practice, the more luck I have. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's that's something that we we take into consideration. The more we do things, the more we practice, the more things we we, we do, the more luck we have. And I think that we've had exceptional timing that that we today have a mature technology in a space that is getting real attention and demand, uh, and we can really prove that we have customers like 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 ABB, Volvo, Sunvik, uh, Alfa Laval, Husqvarna, Siemens Energy, uh, which gives credibility to what we do. So, so that will pay off eventually. And, and that's mm. also where well, it's going to pay off on the investor side. Yep. Yep. Mm. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing. I think, I think if, I had to, if I had to summarize, you know, today's episode in only a few words, I would say, okay, IoT basically, you know, just making money from collecting data is like a very torturous road. You, you're not going to make money just because you're collecting more data. Uh, data is not really the new oil. It's like how you use that data that makes it you know, useful. And the best and one of the key ways to you know, get that data except is to use it for machine learning. Right? Uh, either you recommend new products based on that data or you make, the, make that product work better uh, or cheaper or you know more valuable to the customer because you're collecting that data and doing machine learning in many of those use cases the machine learning has to is ideally or preferably happening on the edge on the device itself with your personal data and not with a million other sources of data uh, you know every single day and that's where Econo kind of comes in where you know, it enables IoT to kind of be a better investment for the company, for the OEM itself, right? Yeah. Because earlier you didn't really have a business case for why why would we invest all of this money into putting this thing on the internet, right? And now we're like, okay, now we can, now by putting this thing on the device, we can do all of these other things, which actually make us money, right? So having that, that business case and also making it easier for them to do the whole thing all together, right? The industry or the ecosystem of tools to make that thing happen, as you said, is uh, 
it's it's doable, but it's still pretty expensive for any company to build an IoT product and put it into production or actually sell it to customers. And it's slowly and slowly as more companies get into the space, it get, it's getting more easier. So the barrier of entry of the barrier of like how much investment do we need to ship an IoT product that's also going down. Uh, and the business value is also going up because you have machine learning, right? That's how I would summarize uh, the the picture that I got from you. And uh, I, I do think that, you know, uh, I wish... Can I add one thing? Luck. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Because I think, I think that's an excellent summary. But one thing that's that's kind of food for thought and adding one dimension to this, uh, I would say that that what we are doing and, and what's, what's kind of the potential is that the whole personalization level. We yeah. talk about mass customization. Historically, and, and we still do that. I mean, we send out a generic product to, to customers and then they start using it. The same kind of track, the same kind of robomower, the same kind of heat exchanger, independent. Uh, that's not going to be acceptable in the future. You send one generic product and then it learns at the job. And it's going to understand how can I actually be the best for, for what I'm being used for, where I'm being used for, for my customer and then it needs to learn from 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 how it's being used in the field that's where edge machine learning get, becomes really interesting when you can learn individually it's also going to be the next big sustainability leap because that means that that rather than, than i mean you can make the generic design as energy efficient as possible but but if you run the the, the an air conditioner in the same way in in mumbai and stockholm then then it's not really going to mm. be efficient but if it learns that the, this is the environment i'm operating in and these this is what I'm supposed to to deliver, then you can run it more efficiently. That personalization dimension of of things, which is something that we take for granted in in e e uh, uh, shopping, yeah. for example, e commerce, uh, is really interesting. And, and it adds not just to the business case; it adds to the sustainability dimension. It adds to everything. And and I think that that is really the digitalization of physical products because that's how you can really make them perform better and make good use of the new technology. Mm, absolutely. I, I love that. And uh, I think there's a lot of potential. I don't know about the timelines. I'm not, not going to pretend to be a thought leader or uh, an armchair thought leader in that space. So, But I do see that you know the fundamental the fundamentals are there, the business fundamentals, so to speak, and the technical fundamentals as well. Uh, and I know, like, you know, you have uh, Google, they, they released their TensorFlow Lite, TensorFlow Lite right. a few years back, and uh, that's, you know, entirely for the edge. Uh, yep. So I, I do think that the ecosystem is maturing, um, you know, uh, not maybe not as maybe not as quickly as people thought, but it is maturing. Some activity is happening, and we have you know you as a live example of uh, you know a company that is actually also doing that. Well, thank you and so especially much. Especially when people like yourself are educating the uh, the uh, people about the opportunity. So that's oh. good. This is what we need. <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing your wisdom and uh, being so open with uh, sharing your lessons learned with uh, with me and with the audience uh, appreciate it and hope you have a great day thank you aman me too take care